distress us, the things that uh, tell us that this world is all that there is. We looked our first week at how Jesus is Lord over disaster when he calmed the storm. We looked last or two weeks ago as to Jesus being Lord <coughs> over the devil and demons. We're, last week we got to spend a few moments in the passage from Mark chapter 5 where we see Jesus is Lord over disease. And finally today we look and see that Jesus is Lord <coughs> over Death. We live in a unique world where we don't have to wait for things anymore. Not as much as we used to. Uh, the reason that we don't have to wait for things is there are people who will deliver your groceries to you. Has anyone taken advantage of that opportunity? Okay, if you haven't, you should look into that. They bring your groceries to you. It's a little scary when they show up in the masks. But you're like, well, what are they here for? Are they here? Okay. So uh, th- that happens from time to time. Uh, I ordered something the other day that was delivered through the United States Postal Service. And it took it two weeks to get here. And I thought, what has happened to this thing that I ordered? I did not know. Uh, waiting is a huge part of life. Waiting is a part of life that we have tried to push to the side. This morning, Hope left to go pick up Magnolia. She's been at our at her grandparents' house for the last week. And in so doing, we let the boys, because Charlie's had a sniffle since December of 2019, um, we let them stay home together. And I get a phone call at 1010 that the boys have locked themselves out of our home. I don't even know how you do that. Like, I was processing in my mind what they were doing the entirety of the time. How did these three boys lock themselves out of our house? Come to find out what my three children have done. You really do realize that Noli is the brains of the operation. Uh, That while their mother was away, the three of them were playing a game where they would push the garage door and see if they could jump over it. And it came to the point where they pushed the garage door. Can two of us jump over it? Then they pushed the garage door a third time and three of us will jump over it. And when all three of them got on the other side of the garage door, it hit them. Oh, wait. We don't have a way back in our house. (laughs) And lately we've had some characters move into our neighborhood uh, that I am uncomfortable with, like Jared and Sarah Manning. And I've been trying to keep an eye on that. So I leave... The church parking lot on two wheels with nary a bumper trying to get to my home to let those children back in the door. Uh, and they, I got there and they're in. But their mom did not let them know that I was on the way because she felt like they needed to wait. We're in a story where we talk about waiting this morning. In Mark chapter 5, we hear Jesus tell us about... A person, or we hear Mark tell us about a person who has been waiting. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember some of the verses that I read because this passage tells us two stories. It's like when I go to Chick-fil-A and get the sandwich and the nuggets. And we... Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he begged him earnestly, My little daughter, she's dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. 
So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman, suffering from blood, from bleeding for twelve years, had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about this, about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him, and that he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, Jesus, and yet you say, Who touched me? But he was looking around to see... Who had done this? The woman with fear and trembling, knowing that what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said to him, your daughter is dead. Why are you bothering the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard this, what he said, what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Quam, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and she began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this they were utterly astounded. And then he gave them strict orders that no one should, would, should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. I'm not sure, uh, for those of us who are parents, if there is much that we won't do for our children, if there are not steps that we won't take, if there are not places that we won't go, if there are not situations that we will attempt to help them avoid. It is part of being a parent. Yes, you guide. Yes, you direct. But when something is bad, you'll do anything for them. How many of us know the expense of going to the emergency room with our child late at night, but we we don't even consider the expense because we're going to get them there because something is wrong. Something is overwhelming. Something is saying to us that this isn't quite the way that things should be. I say that to you because Jairus is a person who has really no business interacting with Jesus because Jesus was a problem for him. We mentioned that just a tad last week, that he is a problem for Jesus because, or that Jesus is a problem for Jairus because Jairus is a religious leader. I don't really know. I gave you a bit of an explanation last week as to Jairus. The best way for us to understand him in the religious context is this. He is the person who scheduled worship services. He made sure that the facilities are taken care of throughout the week. He appointed people to read scripture and to pray. And, and he appointed the person who would give the weekly message. Jared was, or, or Jairus was planning center. Uh, so he would have probably lost his job in this day and age. He is making a decision at this point in his life where if he aligns himself with Jesus, he is going to pay numerous prices. 
He will, play, he will pay a social price. He will pay a political price. And he will pay a financial price. Socially, he will be looked at as someone who is aligned with Jesus when the religious leaders have said that Jesus is a problem. He will pay a political price, meaning that he will more than likely lose his influence in that society. And both of these things together are going to cost him financially. Yet he looks at his little girl, and the Bible says that she's on the verge of death. And when he looks at her, he sees she's worth it. She's worth it. And immediately you've got this story of these, of these two situations where you've got Jairus who is named, the woman who is unnamed. You've got Jairus whose daughter is dying and she has some type of disease. You have the woman who is also dying of some type of disease. But we have the woman, when we contrast it, she's unnamed. No one knows who she is. Everyone knows who Jairus is. Everyone knows who his daughter is. When you begin to look at these two stories, you see that they're telling the exact same thing. They're letting us know that what Jesus is going to do is going to affect so much of what takes place in their world. So if you're a note taker and you need things to, to outline passages, let me give you just a, as I've said throughout this, whenever we're in narrative passages, let me give you a clean outline for a messy story. Here's what we see in this passage in 21 through 24. Jesus comforts despair. 25 through 34, which we won't spend much time in today, Jesus cures disease. And finally, in 35 through 43, Jesus crushes death. One more time. Jesus comforts despair, Jesus cures disease, and Jesus crushes death. The idea of waiting at the very beginning of the passage. Can you imagine being Jairus, hoping against hope that the daughter, that Jesus will come and that he will go with you to see your daughter who is on the verge of death. A crowd of people stand around you because they know of the influence of this would-be rabbi who is showing up. And when Jesus gets there, Jairus, who has been waiting, anxiously anticipating, knowing what Tom Petty has taught us, that waiting is the hardest part. When Jesus shows up, he does not know what to do. Yes, so this man who has all of the influence, all the power, all of the, the finances of the two men in the situation throws himself at the feet of a homeless rabbi. Will you help me? Jesus is going to meet with him because his daughter, she's on the verge of death. Jairus even knows the story of Jesus. You just come. If you'll just come with me, he says in verse 23, and you'll put your hands on her. I know, I know, I know that she'll get better. So you're on your way from point A to point B. And as you're on your way from point A to point B, you've got this numerous crowd surrounding you. And as the Bible says, that you don't even know who's touching. There are so many people there. Peter says at one point, Jesus, everybody is touching you. How can you wonder? And while they're doing this, this teacher who is going to heal your child, you look and you see that he's stopping to talk to someone who doesn't matter. He's stopping to talk to someone who is an outcast. He's stopping to talk to someone that the entirety of the community would look at and say, she is not as important as Jairus. Jairus, who has financial, financial power and prowess, this woman has spent all of her money on doctors. Jared, who is a religious leader, this woman who has been outcast due to religious reasons. Jairus, who is politically influential, this woman who has been told, you don't matter to anyone. 
Jesus stops to talk to her. And the entirety of the time, you're thinking what you and I think when we sit in the emergency room with our child. Will they just get here? Except it's, it seems to be more than that because he knows that his daughter's dying. They wouldn't say this to us otherwise. They know what illnesses lead to death. They, they can tell. You know, as we mentioned last week, they weren't really good with cures because they're trying to, to boo the sickness out of the lady. But we do know this. When something is wrong, you, you can tell. And in the world they lived in, about 60% of children died before they were age 14. That's really hard for us to understand. Because that's not the world that we live in. Kids are... They're invulnerable. You just drop them, they just roll around. How many times have you looked at your kid and thought, they just broke everything and then they pop up asking for a popsicle? Jesus is stopping to have a conversation with someone who does not matter. Yet Jairus, the whole time, if he had a watch, he's looking at his watch. He's looking at the sun, I guess. Trying to figure out, will this ever end? Because this conversation is costing me precious seconds. But in the midst of that, this woman who did not belong was restored and all of the anxiety in your soul has been given a glimmer of hope because you want Jesus to heal by touching your daughter and he just healed a lady that he evidently did not know was there there is healing in this man this is fantastic. Jesus, and Mark's not, he's intentional with the words he uses here. He says that Jesus calls the woman daughter in verse 34. And then we look and we see in verse 36, the next phrase that comes out of verse 35 rather. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said this to him. Your daughter... is dead. She's 12 years old. This woman's been sick for 12 years. I just saw him heal her. If we could have just gotten him through the crowd, moved him a little faster, he could have made this better. Your daughter is, is dead. And all of the energy and all the positive emotion that have come from him being there when Jesus heals, all of that leaves. Don't bother the teacher anymore. That's a pretty loaded phrase. Why would you not bother the teacher anymore? Because Jesus has nothing to do here. Jairus, if you keep going down this road with this Jesus, it's going to be problematic for you. You've already taken a few steps too far. The Pharisees, they know. Herod, he's going to know. This is a problem person. Time has been wasted. And my daughter is gone, is what Jairus would think. So there's everything swirling inside of Jairus at this point between anxiety and grief and bitterness and frustration that Jesus would restore someone that Jesus can but did not. That Jesus did not show up fast enough if he had not been with a demoniac, if he had just gotten here on time, if the crowd had been thinner. And again, we see this text just moving us in a direction. Because Jesus comforts despair. That's what we see. Him showing up at the beginning. 
brings some type of relief to this man. He cures disease, which gives even more relief, dealing with sadness and grief. But finally, we see this. That Jesus Christ crushes death. Time has been wasted, and my daughter is gone. But Jesus, here in the passage, says to this man, Don't be afraid. Just believe. The whole passage has been taking us to this. That Jesus would crush death. That he would deal with death. That he would put an end to it. Uh, Backtrack with me for a moment, friends. Just four short weeks ago, the disciples were in the boat. A A group of fishermen asked a carpenter for boating advice. Because they were worried that they were going to die. When we show up, on the other side of the water and we meet the demoniac he is living in tombs they are in the background of the story this woman's disease will lead to death all of those things we we know when we get to the other side of disaster and we, we see demons dealt with and we see things like a woman healed all of these things on the front side of death are I'm so glad that Jesus can do those things. That's what they're thinking. But this is where it comes to its conclusion. Everything stops here because death is the end. Everything is about stopping death. Let's put an end to it. Let's prolong our lives. Let's make sure that we go further. Let's fight the wrinkles. Let's deal with things that are difficult. Let's rid ourselves of death altogether. Let's cryogenically freeze ourselves. Let's deal with death. Everything is about stopping it, avoiding it. Don't be afraid. Just believe. But here's what I love. We don't quite get the the way that words play out in the Bible. What he literally whispers to this man. Because in my head, when we're watching this conversation, because when you've got a crowd of people, you've got to get close to someone to talk. Friends, close is when you can stand close to people. You may not remember before that happened. But in my, in my mental space, I see Jesus leaning into this man and saying, Keep believing. Because he believed in the face of all these difficulties, all these struggles, all these circumstances. Keep believing. He whispers this to this man. Journey would fully agree with this line of thought. Don't stop believing. He... Did not let anyone accompany him except for Peter, James, and John. Always the favorites. Peter, James, and John are the kid that you take to the grocery store with your parents. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. When they get to the leader's house, there is outright commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. Now, whenever we talk about grievers in the Bible, we are talking about people who are made up of, yes, the family are hurting, but there are also professional mourners who have been brought in. That's why they're there. They're there to grieve. They're there to 
stir the emotion. They're there to make sure that everyone is realizing what is taking place. And they're already there. Jairus has been gone. His wife has been on uber grief. Called these people in quickly. When they show up... That joke didn't land. When they show up... They're wailing, they're mourning, they're grieving, they're hurting. And then Jesus says the weirdest thing. Because if they know anything, they know death. And they know that this girl's dead. Jesus walks in and says, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? Why did you bring them in? This child's not dead. She's asleep. Noli, I guess it was last August, they gave me one of those machines that makes me look like Darth Vader when I sleep. That CPAP thing. And the way that Noli wakes me up in the morning is that she will pick the, pick the mask up and like let it bounce back into my nose and then poke me in the nose. She gets it from her mother, hoping I'd been married for about... Three months, and I was asleep, and I was snoring, evidently. I mean, I think I'm more of a purr. <laughs> but Hope took her phone, and she recorded my snoring, and she played it back in my sleeping ear, and I came out of the bed ready to fight. Let's be, let's be real. I came out of the bed ready to flight, and... <laughs> Why does Jesus say that she's asleep? Because Jesus getting this girl out of the bed is easier than me or you waking someone up. We talk about death and how it's separation from God. Just so I know you're with If you've ever heard something to that effect, could you raise your hand? Death is separation from God. That's what we see. True death is being separated from God. And Mark wants to make it clear that God is right here. My friend Wes Hamilton, pastor of a church in Fort Worth, says this, Jesus had very terrible timing for a healing, but he had perfect timing for resurrection. They laughed at him when he said this. So he put them outside. I love that about Jesus. He, they just laugh at him. He just get out. So they got out. And when they got out, he, he took the, children, the child's father and the mother and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John. They get to go everywhere. And they went to where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately. That's the word we've used multiple times in the passage. Immediately. Immediately we see things like the waters become dead calm. 
immediately we see that the demon-possessed man is in his right mind because the demons are running with pigs. Immediately her bleeding stops and immediately the girl got up and she began to walk. Reminded, she's 12 years old and all of these people are utterly astounded. The family's astounded. The people who knew she was dead are going to be astounded. Then he gave strict orders that no one should know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. I love that. That you see, whenever Jesus brings someone back from death, he calls them, he asks them, he instructs them, he directs them to do everyday things. She eats. She walks. When Lazarus gets out of his grave because he's alive, he looks and I don't need to have these clothes on. Jesus is not calling them to do something that is supernatural. This little girl is still going to die. Her mom and dad are going to... They're going to... Everyone in the story is going to go through earthly death. We see that in, we see that in the lives that we live. But what we see more importantly is that Jesus is giving us a glimpse of what of the way things should be. He's pointing us to a couple of things. There are two things that Jesus points us to when he crushes death in this passage. He points us to the cross. How does Jesus point us to the cross? Because on the cross, Jesus will restore us from the impact of sin and death and disease, sin and disease and death. So, because all of us know the wages of sin are death, in His death on the cross, we see that Jesus restores. He makes things new. And there is hope for us and for every one of us who sits in this room with thinking about things that seem hopeless. Jesus brings people back from death. Literal death. And He can work in that hopeless situation that you're thinking through right now. He just can he restores from the impact of, of sin and disease and death. But this passage is almost also pointing us to something that John will share about in the book of Revelation. He's pointing us to a new creation. Because Jesus, when he points us to the cross, is going to restore us from the impact of sin and disease and death. But at new creation that we see in the book of Revelation, Jesus will remove us from the presence of sin and disease and death. And all of these things that we look at as overwhelming will be underwhelming in comparison to who Jesus is as He whispers to us, just believe. Just believe. Keep believing. Don't stop believing. For every mom in the room who sits here worried about a child, Jesus says, just keep believing. I don't stop. For, for every one of us who work in some situation that seems overwhelming, angst-ridden right now. I know I've got people in this room who walk into nursing homes every day and they care for those who are hurting. Jesus says this, trust me, just keep believing. We've got school teachers who are angsty right now about going back to school. And we can write what we want and say what we want, but all of us know that there is dread and fear when every time we look at anything, it says that the world is broken. Jesus says, just keep believing. And to you who would come and be representations of the reconciliation that we have in Jesus, I say thank you. For those of us who have co-workers who are lost and they just won't stop being lost, no matter how much we talk to them, Jesus says, just keep believing. Keep believing. Keep trusting. 
Keep waiting. Keep anticipating. Keep hoping against hope. Just keep believing because I'm going to make all things new. Death doesn't get the final say. When John writes in Revelation, he says this about Jesus in verse chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adored for her husband. In my sin, I don't always feel like that. As a man, I don't even know what that means. But it's saying here that Jesus is preparing the church to be what he intends for it to be. Making us pure, look pure, not based on our own purity, but because of his. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, the eyes of every grieving mother, every weeping father, every hopeless person facing sin and death and hell for what it is. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things, they've passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said to me, Look, I'm making everything new right because these words are faithful and true. But he's not whispering anymore. He's shouting. He's speaking boldly and loudly as to his very character and nature. Write these things down. And then he said this, It is done. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. The beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. And the one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Jesus makes things new. And we've got choices to make. And we can keep living with this short-sighted, taking-for-granted approach to Jesus. Or we can really believe that He can do all of the things that we want Him to do. And we can trust that disease and death and disaster... And demons, they have no say over him because every time he speaks, they shut up and they listen. That's who we worship. That's who we sing to. That's who we call on as a body of believers in here every Sunday. That's who I encourage you to interact with in your scriptures this in the scriptures this week. The one who makes all things new. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Look, I'm always careful to do this. The, the, I, I can see dimly what's happening in this room. I'm looking and I know you guys well enough to, to, to know who I'm praying for. And If you're in a situation or scenario right now that you're staring down that feels hopeless and helpless... Sick loved ones grieving over death. 
prodigal sons, prodigal daughters. Could you just raise your hand? Keep those up. If you're facing down situations right now that have you overridden with angst. Could you raise your hand? Jesus, we trust you this morning. Lord, I I confess there are times that I need to get here with our people to be reminded that I trust. That there's strength in being with your people. And Lord, right now, over these things that people have admitted and confessed and and that are really, they're extending their hearts out. God, I pray that they'll hear from you. They'll hear that whisper of keep believing because you are going to shout that you are the Alpha and the Omega who makes all things new. So Lord, let us not detach one from the other. Let us place our hope in you as we are in hopeless situations at times. God, over joblessness, over kids running, just pray we would trust you. We ask all this, Jesus, in your powerful name.